You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 216 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We're brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain, STL files, neoprene mats, and panhandle3d.com for 3D printed terrain. Event 10 and Podcast 10 will give you 10% off on each of those websites, respectively. I also have my beautiful, sexy, good smell and Patreon patrons to thank for supporting the show. I love you all. Smoochy, smoochy. Now, next week, hopefully, we will have our annual Halloween get-together for all the Patreon patrons, and I'll be able to tell you about that, and I'm sure it will be a blast. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we have a very strange Tesseract mailbox. I'm not going to get into it. But King Klong sends us a very strange message. So, we cover that. We also cover the King Broad, I think his name is, the Mega Gargant named character. And I go on a slight tirade about something that you can just find out in there. And then we also have a real talk with the Pimpcron. And inside that, we discuss how I have finally discovered the proof that Games Workshop doesn't know what they're doing, and they're not evil geniuses. So stay tuned to listen to that. What have I been up to? I have been working a lot on Brutal Space. All my free time has been Brutal Space. Um, I have not done a skit in like three weeks because I've just been super busy. I A lot of times I wake up early, I work on Brutal Space, I go to work all day, I come home, and then I work more on Brutal Space. So I am really trying to get that done by the end of the month. I mean, in the end of the year. And um, it's coming along just fine, but it's just such an immense project. People don't realize how much editing and all that. So also, I'd like to remind you that my short story compilation from Brutality Skirmish Wargame is out. And you can find that at BrutalitySkirmishWarGame.com. And what else? Um, That's about it. We had a paint party today for Shorehammer. And uh, my friend David and TJ and Just James came over and we painted all of the panhandle3d.com terrain. And uh, everybody was impressed by it. It's very durable. I enjoy it. And um, so I just wanted to um, share that with you guys. We painted a ton of terrain. And then I made another order with panhandle3d.com. So we got more coming. The second order is more modern terrain. It's not... um, ruins or whatever it's like city buildings and things in case we want to do marble crisis protocol and otherwise i can still mix and match it through my other games you know i can still use that in warhammer 40k or whatever so it's really not a a problem that it's modern but it's nice to have some modern terrain and what else that is about it my season is almost completely finished and i'm very very happy and thankful for it so um, at the club this week, uh, we had no 40k players, shockingly. So I was supposed to play Brutality, and James was going to play with all the Age of Sigmar guys. And then at the last minute, I was like, man, I'm afraid 40k is like drying up. So James, do you want to play 40k with me? And he said, yeah. So we both played 40k. There was plenty of Brutality players. They were all playing campaign games anyway, so they didn't really need me. I was just hoping to get a game in. So me and James start setting up for 40k, and um, a kid comes in. I think he's like 13 or 14. He's a young kid, but he was very nice. And um, he brought his towel, and he said he wanted to play. And normally, 
on site, if I see someone bring towel, I punch them square in the mouth. I just do. It's a reaction. It's actually, I have a doctor's note saying that it is a phobia of mine and it's an actual physical medical condition. I, I just want to let you know that. So a lot of times my people at Shorehammer, if they see a towel player coming in and there's any visible towel models, they'll try to distract me. They'll jingle keys, they'll whatever, because I, I take medication for it. I just can't help but punch towel players. I don't know what it is. I, I think it's trauma from Taldar back in the day. You know, I think it's still leftover trauma. But anyway, this kid came and played. He, um, We let him jump in at the last minute. And then, of course, he had to leave early, so that kind of screwed our game a bit. But he was a nice kid, and maybe, um, you know, maybe we got a new player. He's awfully young, but sometimes we have some young people. I think TJ started when he was like 16 or something like that. And our friend Dominic started when he was like 17. So, I mean, you know, but uh, a player's a player and this kid was nice. So we will see if he continues to show up. But uh, that is about it for this segment, I think. I mean, I've just been working on Brutal Space nonstop. So anyway, I will get on to the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. And this is the time of the episode where we cover the Tesseract mailbox. And today I have one of the strangest emails I've ever received. And it could be inflammatory to some of you. It may be scary or even alarming to others of you. But maybe I should just get right down to it, okay? This is this is a bit of a lengthy communication between this person and uh, I guess I'll just dive right into it okay they write and this is at pimpcron at gmo.com pimpcron nice show and that was it <laughs> I'm like I got this email like two weeks ago and it's um, I'm not going to give you their full email but um, it involves the words king and klong like king kong but king uh, kong has an l in it and um, there's other stuff involved, but I'm like, so clearly this is not a scam, I don't think, because they're not asking me for like my social security number or whatever, right? And I really don't even, let's try to dissect what this King Klong is talking about here. So they send me this email and I reply and go, thanks, which episode are you talking about? And then they never reply. So uh, King Klong. You are obviously a listener, I can assume, I, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if it's like, Psh, nice show. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's like that. Like, you know, he, he they, I don't even know it's a, who it is, but they listened to one episode and they thought it was trash, so they just decided to email me and go, huh, nice show, chud, right? Maybe that's that's what they mean. Or... Like, they legitimately thought it was a nice show, but then got distracted. Like, there's not, they didn't even finish the email. They, <laughs> it doesn't say sincerely or anything like that. It's just Pimpcron, comma, you know, uh, next, you know, start of a paragraph, nice show, period. Well, you know, some people are terse. Some people are short on words. Some people don't like to talk a whole lot. But this is a whole new level of 
brevity than I've ever seen. Thank you very much, King Klong, for writing in, and I don't know whether or not your nice show comment was authentic or not, but I would like to think this is exactly what happened. King Klong was having a bad day, right? And King Klong decides, you know what would cheer me up is listening to my favorite podcast of Pimp Cron. And they turn on the Spotify or iTunes or whatever they listen to, and they just sink back in their chair, and King Klong is at peace with the world as he, he or she listens to my voice, and all is right with the world. You know, they're no longer mad at their boss, uh, suddenly their bills are paid, it's like a real, I don't know, moment in time that they can just sit and be at peace listening to the Pemkron. And now, hopefully, King Klong, you are listening to me talk about the nearly religious, I mean, let's be honest here, the deeply personal experience of listening to the Pemkron, and the insightfulness, and, I mean, you've never seen, King Klong doesn't actually know what I look like, but they're pretty sure that I'm good looking, and, I mean, I'm not too far off the mark there, if I do say so myself. So... Thank you, King Klong. I'm glad that I am such an important part of your life that you had no words. Hashtag, I have no words. It was just so raw and organic that you just had to fire up the Gmail and had to just just send that love out to me and just thank me for touching you in a way that only a Warhammer podcaster can do. Let's be honest. So, thank you, King Klong, for sharing this with me. And you can feel free to write back any old time, because you are a real hoot. You're a real treat. Now, I'm curious if maybe this is the actual case. I'm curious if... Because there was no sign-off. There was no, like, sincerely King Klong. There was no, there was no indication that the email was actually finished. Okay? So, they write, Pimpcron, nice show. I'm thinking they maybe accidentally hit send, and then that was it. You know, then they're then they're like, "Well, I'm not going to redact that email. I'm not going to send another email and look stupid." So I'll see if he actually reads this email on the air because it's so dumb. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe we're not in on King Klong's inside joke. You know, maybe it's all a joke on the old Pimpcron. So King Klong, please reply to my email. And please let me know what exactly is the origin of this email, because I am a little puzzled, but I am entertained, and I appreciate it. I guess we'll go on to the next segment, and maybe that will be a little longer than Nice Show. <laughs> want that, or want that not? Well, howdy doody, partners. I do believe this is the want that, or want that not. Today, we're covering, I'm going to drop the stupid accent, King Broad of the Sons of Baphomet, or whatever they're called. So these are giants, right? The Mega Gargans for Age of Sigmar. They've got a new character. He's a dual kit. He makes King Broad, and he also makes uh, some other guy, right? And he is $210, I believe it is. And at first, you're like, wow, that's a lot of money, right? Well, it's going to be a lot more money when you think about it, because $210 USD is not anywhere near the currency exchange rate of the British pound. 
if you are in the UK, this guy costs you £130. Do you know what £130 converted to USD is? That's right, $147. What? Not 210 you say? Yeah, correct. $147. They are almost one for one. Uh, $1 is 88, uh, 0.88 of a pound. So, they're very similar. So, why are you paying 70 more dollars than you should? Well, that's a good question, folks. And the idea is that... I mean, there's a lot of factors here, right? Number one, if a corporation, especially a corporation, can get a price for an item, they're going to keep charging that price, right? They're not going to lower it just because the conversion rate is down. Um, They end up making far more money when the conversion rate does go down and they keep their prices the same. Uh, Given that we're a bunch of stupid gamers or we're going to pay this full price, right? So, $210, I just want you to know that everybody who buys King Broad at $210 USD, you are overpaying by $63. So, that is well over 25%. You're paying extra. Just want to throw that out there. Just want to let you know to make your day. Um, I believe the word is arbitrage, but I might be wrong. Um, there's a, there's a term for it, but there's a lot of reasons why the currency, and this is a tirade I'm going on, but there's a lot of reasons why the currency, uh, is, is very different. And of course, you know, they're in the business to make money, but the problem is, is that they're still going by the exchange rates of what, three, four years ago when the dollar was like a dollar 50 per pound. So uh, whatever it's, um, it's a bunch of bulls, what it is. They, they really should be lowering their prices, but don't expect a corporation to lower their prices any anytime soon. So I feel like at $210, I don't even have to talk about the model. At $210 is totally a no-go for me. I know all the other guys are at $210. That's just tough nuggies. I would never buy this, and that's why I've never bought any Mega Gargans before. Now, let's actually talk about the model, shall we? Um, the actual model, King Broad, he looks like a typical Mega Gargan. He doesn't look like anything particularly cool, right? He's got some leather. He's got a bunch of the hodgepodge of banners and shields and all that stuff that you're expecting a Mega Gargan to have, right? He's got a bunch of planks, like, tied around his forearm, his armor. He's got these, um, two big, like, tusk things on his shoulders. They look okay, Really, the only distinguishing factor between him and a regular Mega Gargan is that he has a giant hammer, which is pretty cool. It's made out of a tree trunk, and I think it's pretty cool looking, so I give him that. And the only other difference is, is that he's got the big bone, bone and jaw head thing going on. Other than that, he looks like a regular Mega Gargan. Um, as far as detail, of course, you're expecting Games Workshop to be high detail, and it is. It's got plenty of little things for you to pick out and paint and details and skulls and straps and rope and armor and all sorts of stuff. He's wearing rings. He's got an eye patch. He's got tusks. There's these little red gremlin things all over him. I don't even know what they are. They're not snotlings. I don't know what they are. But he's a totally fine model. But it does really stick in my crawl that you're paying $63 more than you should for this model. Um, so, that that really is like $210 is absolutely ridiculous. 
If this were three or four years ago, sure. But, and the problem is, is that gamers are still going to pay it. So, I'm sure he's probably, well, it doesn't say he's sold out, but I'm sure he's probably practically sold out by now. Because we're big, dumb gamers, and we're going to spend the money regardless. So, uh, it is definitely a want that not for me. Although, in fairness, even when the this would have been an accurate price because of the exchange rate, um, I still would not buy it because I did not buy the original ones and they really don't interest me and I'm not paying $210 for a single model. I don't care how big he is. I don't care any of that stuff. He's really not up my alley. If this is up your alley, then, I mean, I think you probably want it, right? I could definitely see you getting this kit and making him. Especially, it is kind of a cool idea that you have a uh, a named character for the uh, Mega Gargans. I really like that. So I think it was about time they had like a named character. But other than that, he's kind of very similar to the other ones. So, I mean, if, if you're into that, sure. Me, the price tag is a complete turnoff. Honestly, if the if it was at the actual conversion rate, $147, I would consider it. Because even though that's almost out of my price range, well, it actually is out of my price range, but I mean, I'd stretch to get this guy. Um. I actually like the other kits better because it makes three different versions. I think this just makes King Broad and then one other version. Um, but, I mean, he's a cool model. They're they're all cool models. It's just not my thing personally. So, it's not really a bash on it. Except that price is ridiculous. So, this, I guess, is me just being an old man. And, uh, otherwise, I guess make up your own mind on this because this was not my cup of tea from the get-go. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. So this is the Tesseract Mailbox, and you know what we do here. We dissect things, we discuss stuff, and usually it's about Warhammer, correct? Correct. So there's been something that Just James and I have been discussing lately, and I, I truly think this is a perfect example of when someone tells you that Games Workshop is this genius, maniacal, just crazy, evil genius... Um, hell-bent on world domination, they've got you over a barrel with their prices, and they know exactly what they're doing sticking it to you, right? When someone tries to claim that Games Workshop is nefarious or whatever, I always try to say, ah, I don't know, knowing Games Workshop as well as I do, I think they just don't have their act together, and it's no different from government or anything else. They just don't. It's like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, and that sort of thing. So, What's interesting to me is that this is a perfect example. Multi-buildable kits, whether that means kits that can make more than one unit or kits that make more than one weapon for a unit. So an example would be the Paladins for Stormcast. Originally, that kit made three different Paladins. One is the Retributors with the Hammers, and then there's two other versions that I never used. I, I loved Retributors too much. But in the Stormcast book, those three units that look identical, the weapon option is the only difference here, those three units are actually listed as three different things, okay? One's like a protector, decimator, retributor, something like that. And there's three versions. Now, they are basically how you should put a box together if your game's workshop. You get three different 
units, or at least three different loadouts from one box. Now, in this case, it's a really bad example because they all look identical, right? Usually you want your different units to be different looking. So that's weird that they have three different units of identical models except different weapon options, which is very odd for them to do. But whatever, right? Then you've got things like the Mega Gargants that, oh, you can get three or four different weapon, uh, three or four different options to build different Mega Gargants from one kit. Well, wait a second. That is a really good option for Games Workshop because they sell one kit. They do the research and development and all that on one kit. They have the shipping and production and all that on one kit. But if someone wants to make an army of multiple of them, they're going to have to buy multiple of them, right? It only makes sense for a company to minimize costs and then maximize the sale of each thing that costs them money, correct? So, in other words, it costs X amount of tens of thousands of dollars or whatever to make this Mega Gargant kit. If we only make one Mega Gargant out of it, there's like, oh, it just makes this one guy kit it out this certain way. Well, then that is not maximizing your efficiency. But if you've got three different Mega Gargants that can be made from it, then A, you're going to appeal to different playstyles because the three Mega Gargants are going to play differently. And arguably the Retributors will like this too. Um, the whole Paladin box is that if you want to smash with hammers or you want the lances or whatever, it does make sense that you're going to be getting way more profit off of your cost because you only made one box set and you're potentially selling it three different times if someone wants all three units, right? That makes perfect sense. But then they have a trend of, and this is a very inconsistent trend, of they will take units and, for instance, the Soul Blight, the Blood Knights. They have two different weapon options, but it's just labeled something like Blood Knight weapons or something like that. Or sometimes they'll say Swords and Lances or or whatever. It's treated helter-skelter through all the different units in the, in the different armies. But it's completely treated differently in different books. So you've got something like Mega Gargants. One box makes three different, very different looking units. Okay. Then you get the Paladins, where it's three of basically the same unit, but different weapon options. But each one of them is considered a different unit, not different weapon options for one unit, which I find to be very odd. Then you've got, <laughs> you've got Blood Knights that have... Um, they have two different weapons you can physically put on their body, but they have the exact same stats, which doesn't make any sense at all. That is, that's like going way off the rails there because why on earth would you make a brand new box such as the blood Knights? And they are a brand new box, but you, you take all the time to make two different weapon options, but then they're exactly the same. Why would you just not give them just a single weapon option? Or, if you did give them two weapon options, why would you not make it two different things? Give one of them um, something on the charge and one when they are charged, or or whatever. The common thing they always did, like with Free Guild and things like that, is like, uh, let's say you've got hammers and swords. Hammers are going to hit worse, but wound better, right? They're going to hit on a four, wound on a three, because, you know, they're heavier and whatnot. The swords are going to hit better, but wound worse. So they would hit on a three, wound on a four. Wow, that is almost functionally the same, but it's different enough that it feels different. 
that seems to be the way that they should be doing that, or at least give them a different ability. Let's say, you know, if you're hitting on the hammers, oh, it's sixes to hit, do something else, do mortals or whatever you want to do. But the point is, if you're going to spend the time and money to give them different weapon options, then you should be making the most out of it and making different rules for those weapon options. And being that all the different armies are different, they're differently treated with their different weapon options, just shows me that Games Workshop does not have their act together. The people that make the models and the people that make the rules are probably completely different separate departments, which you don't think they would be. But you feel like you would have just a manager, right? I think Jervis Johnson used to fill this part, but he's retired now. Jervis Johnson was kind of like in charge of the game development, and there were some other people in that position as well. And you feel like they don't have that anymore. It's like whoever writes the codex is like, oh, I've got free reign to do whatever I want. But the problem is, is that you are not, A, appealing to more people because different weapon styles facilitate different play styles, which facilitates different players. You know, oh, I like to be more defensive. Well, I'm going to take this shield and sword combo. Oh, I like to be more aggressive. I'm going to take lances or whatever the case is. It is much more appealing to a broader audience, which, of course, the... X amount of plastic and design that goes into that box is pretty much set, okay? You're going to pay X amount of money to make that set. Why would you not use every available option to expand your sales of it? A good example of something that was not designed to be this way, but they eventually made it this way, and I thought it was genius, completely genius, is that flayed, uh, not flayed ones, uh, Flesh Eater Court. Flesh Eater Court had Crypt Horrors, and they had Crypt Flayers. No, no, I'm sorry, they had Vargeists. Crypt Horrors and Vargeists. They were the exact same set. But Vargeist had wings, and Vargeist had like a um, some hair on their back and a, and a bat head. And the Crypt Horrors had this goofy uh, Goonies monster-looking face, and they had like a club. They didn't have wings. Okay, that's cool. But when the Flesh Eater Quartz, so already that kit makes two different units, right? Totally fine. That's totally acceptable. But when the Flesh Eater Court book came out, and this is before the Aberrant Ghoul King and all that, they realized that they really didn't have enough units to make a whole army out of. So what they did, which I thought was fantastic, is they took the box set for the Crypt Horrors and the Vargeists. And what they did is they made Crypt Flares, which is basically the Vargeist body. But actually, no, I should say you put the wings on the Crypt Horrors. And now they're Crypt Flares. It's a whole new unit, right? And then vice versa. They they did um, something similar with the Vargeists. And then what they did is they made you um, make characters out of the same kit. So it's not a special kit for the HQ, for the Crypt Flares and the Crypt Horrors and all that. You make the character from that kit, which is fantastic, because from a standpoint of game design and selling it and all that, right, you're going to ruin one of the models out of that three. And you know, Age of Sigmar doesn't pay points per model. They pay points per group of model, right? So it's X amount of points for 10 or 20 or 5 or 3 or whatever it is in a unit. 
Well, they come in boxes of three. So you basically have to buy a separate box to make one character, but then you've got two people left over, so you might as well make three characters out of it. So if you think about that, it's actually a really good deal for the customers because they get, I think it's 60 bucks for that box. They get three characters out of that box for 60 bucks. That ends up being $20 a character. That's a, that's a great price compared to their $35, $40 they currently are. But also, people are going to have to buy that box for the Crypt Horrors. They got to buy that box for the Crypt Flares. They got to buy that box for the Vargeist. They got to buy the box for the characters. You might be buying, I don't know, 12 boxes. Think about that. If you want to run, let's say, three characters and uh, two six-man squads of Crypt Flares and two six-man squads of Vargeist, right? That's one, two, three, four, five boxes of the same box. That is absolutely genius. They should do that. And yes, it's slightly predatory because of the whole taking a character out of that unit. Now that unit is underpowered, so you might as well make more characters out of it. It's slightly predatory, but they are at a good price. So my point is, is that Games Workshop has done things adequately, right? With the whole Gargan or the Retributors. They've done it adequately. You Different weapon options or different units out of the same box, totally fine, okay? They've also done it super well, like the Cryptars and Crypt Flares. That's excellent. They did a fantastic job with that. Okay. But they also do it terribly, such as the Blood Knights, where they go through all the trouble of making two different weapon options, but only stat out one. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Or, or in the case of the kangaroo guys, the uh, Airwind Rider, whatever, James is assembling right now for Lumineth Realm Lords. They only come with one weapon option. What is up with that? That doesn't make any sense at all. One weapon option? Why would you not? They come with bows and arrows. Why would you not also give them little arms for crossbows or little arms with a, a, a spear or what? Oh my God, GW. Like, do I have to explain to you how to make money? <laughs> I mean, for real, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I'm saying that Games Workshop is a totally fine company. I enjoy their games, whatever. Sometimes they can be shitty, certainly. Sometimes they're predatory, like I just talked about that Mega Gargant price. I get all that. But they are not the evil geniuses everyone thinks they are. They just aren't. So, I hope that is some proof that um, in all of their units, they have different things going on in different armies, depending on the physical and the rules, and none of it makes sense. You know, if they all, you could pick the adequate, the good, or the bad layout for any of these. And if all the armies were that one way, you'd be like, well, that's the way the game is. But it's not. Like, the, it varies so much per army that it's absolute nonsense. And remember, kids, kids uh, following along at home, rules are free. You take out your word processor and you go, six is to hit with a hammer, give mortal wounds, or whatever it is. It costs you nothing to write rules for these weapons. 
It costs you nothing. And you cannot say that, oh, if they gave a hammer that was a 4 to hit and a 3 to wound versus a 3 to hit and a 4 to wound, it would completely break the game. No, that is not what's going to happen. And Games Workshop, frankly, does not care that much about their balance that they even consider that. So, really, I think this is the nail in the coffin for the whole argument that they're evil, sinister masterminds. They just aren't. They don't have their act together, and they're not unlike any government or other corporation that you meet. They're just not. They just don't know what they're doing. They kind of do stuff willy-nilly. Um, I hear my game store owner, uh, JD, complain about Wizards of the Coast all the time. How they do stupid crap that doesn't make any sense. Whiz kids all the time that does Heroclix, they make stupid decisions all the time. And people are scratching their head going, why don't they do it this way? It would make so much more money. No. Nope. It's not the way it works. Anyway, thank you to Panhandle3D.com for supporting the show and GameMat.eu and my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. I will see you in episode 217.